More than half a million people have died from COVID-19 in Brazil. Only the US has a higher death toll, but they have managed to flatten the curve through efficient widespread vaccination. Meanwhile, in Brazil, the first COVID-19 jabs were given out in January and the speed of immunisation has been uneven ever since. And it's worth bearing in mind that 500,000 is only the official death count. Most experts believe the real numbers are much higher and that the true human toll of the pandemic in Brazil may never be fully known as the country simply doesn't test its population enough. Despite being one of the world's major COVID hotbeds throughout most of the pandemic, Brazil is not even in the top 100 countries when it comes to tests per million people. But who's to blame? The ongoing Senate inquiry into the government's pandemic response has shown that incompetence only tells part of the story. In fact, the Bolsonaro administration consciously chose to push chloroquine over procuring vaccines and preferred herd immunity to social isolation. But chloroquine is an anti-malarial drug with absolutely no effect against the coronavirus. And herd immunity not only means allowing tons of avoidable deaths, but also fuels the surge of new coronavirus variants. Documents published by the Brazilian report show that the government already knew most of these things a year or so ago, with minutes of meetings at the health ministry showing that allowing the virus to spread unchecked didn't even make sense from an economic standpoint. Still, the government's hands-off approach didn't change. And more than a year and half a million deaths later, detractors of the president are taken to the streets. For them, the risks of keeping Jair Bolsonaro in the presidency far outweigh those of holding public gatherings and breaking distancing rules. This week, we look into what is driving these protests. My name's Ewan Marshall, filling in for Editor-in-Chief Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. For more than a year, the streets belonged to Jair Bolsonaro and his supporters. Obeying social isolation rules, the government's opponents demonstrated from home, either on social media or by shouting or banging pots at their windows. Not anymore. Late in May, anti-Bolsonaro protesters staged demonstrations in over 200 cities, embracing the contradiction of holding mass gatherings to criticise Bolsonaro for, well holding mass gatherings and exposing his supporters to the risk of a coronavirus contamination. Less than a month later, another round of protests took place this weekend, this time in more than 300 cities across 27 states. Lucas Berge, hello. Hi, Ewan. So you were at the protest in Sao Paulo on Avenida Paulista, covering all the goings-on for the Brazilian report. How was it? Well, it was very busy. The march was scheduled to begin at 4, but there were already big crowds by around 3 p.m. The major demand was, of course, the impeachment of President Jair Bolsonaro, but there was also calls for economic measures to offset the effects of the pandemic-led crisis. We have to remember that Brazil, like other Latin American countries, relies heavily on its informal economy, which was devastated by the pandemic. Unemployment rates are their highest ever, food insecurity reaches over half of Brazilian homes, and youth unemployment is giving indications of a potential generational crisis. So, who was there? What was the, what was the makeup of these crowds? It was extremely varied. 
I saw parents taking their children, senior citizens who protested against the military dictatorship in the 70s, LGBT people who feel threatened by the presence anti-minority stances, there was a bit of everything. Which is not surprising considering that about half of the Brazilians electorate believes the government is doing a bad or a terrible job overall. Generally, these weekend's protests drew more people than the demonstrations in May. Right. But for the past year, anti-Bolsonaro voters criticized the president for doing precisely what they're doing now. How do they address this contradiction? Well, the people protesting believe that any risk represented by a public protest pales if compared to the danger posed by a coronavirus skeptic president. As you mentioned at the top of the show, Brazil has reached 500,000 confirmed coronavirus deaths and there is a risk of a third wave of infections. And still, President Bolsonaro is not getting on board with recommendations from the scientific community. It was clear that the coronavirus pandemic would be devastating in a country like Brazil, and no government would have been able to avoid it. But it certainly didn't have to be this bad. The Senate's COVID hearings show that Pfizer offered to sell its vaccine to Brazil as early as August last year. But the government ignored dozens of the US companies' emails and a deal was only signed in March of 2021. Experts say that if the Bolsonaro administration had been more keen on purchasing vaccines, several deaths could have been avoided. And now, around five months since Brazil administered its first vaccine, less than 12% of Brazilians are fully vaccinated. So, with the people who were on the streets this weekend, what kind of precautions were they taking? A lot of face masks with quite a few people also using face shields. Personally, I took all precautions possible as my age group is only expected to get a first vaccine shot by September, if all goes well. I saw a lot of people trying to keep their distance from other groups of protesters, but there were certainly big crowds. Regardless, it was very different from pro-Bolsonaro demonstrations. There, not wearing a mask is something of a badge of honor, which is the behavior of the president himself. The irony is that the far right bashed this weekend's protest for not following coronavirus protocol. This coming from the same people who have spent the last 16 months denying the pandemic altogether. And so you mentioned that the crowd was pretty mixed, a lot of different age groups and social and ethnic backgrounds. But who who organized these protests? Was it an organic thing or was it a partisan movement? Well, it had a clearly partisan character, with social movements, trade unions, and student organizations being heavily present. And these organizations are close to left-wing parties. I saw multiple flags of political groups such as the Workers' Party or the Communist Party of Brazil. So, naturally, there was a lot of talk about these protests being linked to former President Lula, who is set to run against Bolsonaro in next year's presidential election. But not everyone there was a Lula supporter. There was a bunch of people simply looking to oppose Bolsonaro, without necessarily supporting any particular candidate to defeat him. But Lula wasn't present at the demonstration, was he? No. Unofficially, Lula endorsed the protests, but decided to keep a safe distance from them, precisely to avoid being accused of creating mass gatherings. 
The thing is, he's still arguably Brazil's most popular politician and draws massive crowds to his speeches. Were he to have addressed protesters on the weekend, the whole thing would have become a much bigger health hazard. Yeah, but there were a few familiar faces, such as members of Congress and former São Paulo Mayor Fernando Haddad, who came in second in the 2018 presidential race. He supported Bolsonaro's impeachment and demanded that center-right parties engage themselves in efforts to oust the president. So you're saying that even without Lula, the protest remains something of a left-wing affair, more or less. And that limits the effects of the movement in a certain way. It does, yes. While these demonstrations do put pressure on Bolsonaro and show that he no longer has a monopoly on the streets, they will still come short of showing discontent from both sides of the AO. And if Bolsonaro were to be removed from office, it would need mass support from the left and the right. Indeed, since taking office, Bolsonaro has committed a string of impeachable offenses, but the only figure able to initiate impeachment proceedings against the president is the House Speaker, Artur Lira. On Monday, Lira said he doesn't think there are the political circumstances to justify Bolsonaro's impeachment, and he won't change his mind until we see massive and frequent demonstrations, such as those which helped impeach former President Dilma Rousseff out of office a few years ago. And it's that kind of extreme pressure that is not quite there for Jair Bolsonaro, at least not yet. We explain why after the break. We'll be right back. The Brazilian Report was launched in October 2017 to cover Brazil for foreign audiences. But thanks to the support of our subscribers, we have grown a lot since then, and we have expanded our coverage to Latin America. Now, every Wednesday, premium subscribers receive a newsletter with all of the most important political, financial, and cultural news in the region. You can try it out with our free trial, and our full subscription costs less than $20 a month. Just go to brazilian.report. So we're back with Lucas Berti, the Brazilian report journalist who covered the June 19 protests against Jair Bolsonaro. So we've talked about who showed up, but Lucas, who was absent at the protests? So uh, this is important. Right-wing movements which led impeachment protests against Dilma Rousseff in 2015 have not joined the demonstrations against Jair Bolsonaro, even if they are not firmly part of the opposition to the president. And why is that? Well, they claim it's because of the pandemic. Movements such as MBL, the Free Brazil Movement, or Vem Pra Rua, which were highly active in 2015, say the coronavirus still poses a big enough threat to avoid public gatherings. For them, pot-banging protests and social media continue to be the preferred way to voice their displeasure with Bolsonaro. But there are also other reasons. Such as? Well, as we mentioned earlier, these protesters are largely identified with Lula, who the MBL and Vem Pra Rua detest. These groups did not agree with the Supreme Court's decision in March 
quashing Lula's convictions and making him eligible for office once again. In other words, they believe he should be in jail. So this partisan nature of the protests is a deal breaker for movements on the right and literally kept them away. And the opposition does not see eye to eye on lots of things, above all the economy. These right-wing movements support a libertarian agenda and they say they have no problem voting with the Bolsonaro government on matters they agree with. That is a foreign concept for the left, which agrees on virtually nothing with the Bolsonaro administration, and many left-wing elected officials equate voting with the government or any matter to complicity with everything it represents. So that seems to have burned a few bridges. Right, and would you say there's still a bit of bad blood left over from the protest that ousted Dilma? Definitely. The movement to impeach Dilma Rousseff opened a massive gulf between the left and the right. The left said those who supported impeachment Dilma were coup mongers, and the right accused them of moral relativism when it came to economic mismanagement and corruption practice from the Workers' Party. It's like both sides denied the other's legitimacy to defend what they stood for. When you accuse someone of destroying democracy either by stagging a parliamentary coup or by rotting institutions through corruption, it becomes harder to join hands to fight a common enemy. So you're saying there's little chance of a multi-partisan front even once vaccination advances? It seems that way. The NBL, for instance, has promised to call its own demonstrations once the pandemic is better controlled. And you can bet that their line will be against Bolsonaro, but against Lula too. And that will keep most left-wing would-be protesters at home. Well, the problem there is that we have a president who's increasingly under pressure, constantly hinting that he could launch a power grab next year, and was clearly eroding democratic institutions from within. Now, both the left and the right agree that Bolsonaro is a threat to democracy, but even that is not enough to make them join forces against him? Well, there are electoral calculations at play here. Bolsonaro is at his lowest point so far in terms of approval ratings. Only 25% of the electorate see him as a good or a great leader, half the total who say he's a bad or terrible. With about 16 months until the election, Bolsonaro looks as beatable as ever, and both the center-right and center-left want to capitalize on that and put themselves forward as the only alternative to the president. So what is the electoral picture thus far? At this point, it's between Bolsonaro and Lula. There's little room for a third-way candidate, as no one's outside the top two has managed to pull above double digits. And why is that? Because, I mean, we can say what we want about the Sao Paulo governor, João Doria, for instance, and, you know, there's plenty to be said, but he's done a stellar job in bringing vaccines to Brazil, and, you know, is there no chance that he can mount a challenge? Well, yes, Doria has been doing everything he can to present himself as presidential throughout the pandemic, but in Brazil, name recognition is the most valuable currency as a politician can have. And at this point, no one is better known than Lula or Bolsonaro. Moreover, politicians from the São Paulo elite usually face resistance from the electorate in rural and poor areas, who don't feel represented by them. And Doria remains a controversial figure. During his stint as a mayor of São Paulo, he ended acclaimed programs to help crack addicts in favor of an aggressive police presence in vulnerable areas. 
Then, to win the governor's seat in 2018, he threw his weight behind Bolsonaro and presented himself as the far-right candidate's number one ally. However, as soon as he got elected, Doria kept Bolsonaro away, already planning to challenge him in 2022. So there is a perception that Doria is an opportunistic character who will do and say anything he believes will help him. Well, and we can't say he's the only politician to do that. I mean, you know, Lula has shaken hands with people he once called the biggest crooks of Brazilian history. Bolsonaro has allied himself with the very brand of politicians that he claimed to be combating. Yeah, that's true, but Lula and Bolsonaro have this quality of saying things in a way which comes across as completely sincere and believable to their supporters. And they are the two most popular figures in Brazil. So we could say it is up for the other candidates to dethrone them. And could this third way come from the center-left as opposed to the center-right? So since Donald Trump's election's defeat in the US last November, there has been a desperate search in the political center and moderate right for Brazilian Joe Biden, an imaginative combination between conservative and liberal stances to stand in the way of more ideological alternatives. Ciro Gomes, who came in third in the 2018 presidential race, is trying to brand himself as precisely that. A bona fide left-wing politician, he is now pandering to Bolsonaro's electorate. He has supported the presidential's proposal to ring state paper ballots to Brazil's 100% electronic voting system. More recently, he released a video praising Christian values that, quote, are in the fabric of Brazilian society. O Brasil se formou no berço do cristianismo. E são dois os aspectos da mensagem cristã que devem falar fundo no coração de qualquer brasileiro. And that's Bolsonaro's battleground. And not by coincidence, that turn came after he hired Lula's former marketing wizard, João Santana. Yes, João Santana is seen as Brazil's gold standard of political campaign managers. And he's also won elections in Africa and Central America. He has indeed a formidable resume, but also earned a reputation as a ruthless strategist, not afraid of fighting dirty and dishing out low blows, a quality he showed while working for Lula. Considering Santana's intelligence, I think it is safe to say that he's worked out that the electorate responds well to this type of messaging. Well, whether it will work coming out of Ciro Gomes' mouth, however, is another matter. As things stand, his pondering to the right could alienate left-leaning voters, while his history as a candidate might not give him the credentials to conquer this new demographic. Well, we'll continue following what's set to be a very tense electoral cycle. Lucas, thanks very much. Thank you, Ewan. If you like Explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars wherever you get your podcasts. It only takes a couple of seconds to do and it really will help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. So we offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.